a very special episode of TEH Podcast. It's episode number 100. Yay! Yay. I'm Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. We actually have three guests. I think this might be our maximum capacity ever. We have Randy Cassingham. This is True.com. We have Kay Savitz. Where do you want to be from today, Kay? Uh, Freeprintable.net. And Ken Gagney. How about you? What do you want to represent today? Roadbits.net. Yay. Um, for folks who might be finding us on YouTube for the first time, the TEH podcast is something we've been doing actually now for, what, a couple of years if we're up to 100? Yeah. Um, and each week, uh, Gary and I, along with some random guests, and emphasis on random today, it, we get together and we talk about what's cool in technologies, focusing on the enthusiast part, since there's plenty of podcasts if you want to go out and get depressed about breaches and failures and that kind of stuff. We're more interested in what's cool in technology these days. Um, I think that Randy gets to start off with what is perhaps the <laughs> coolest thing we've talked about in some time. Well, and we did have breaches very early on, but we decided that got boring, so we stopped depressing. doing that. Breach depressing. of the yeah. week! Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was too depressing. Well, you know, I'm a space geek, so I've got to be enthusiastic about this. SpaceX is launching human beings from the United States and that'll be the first time since the last shuttle launch, Atlantis, in July, I think it was, of uh, 2011. So it's been a long time since we've been able to launch people. And uh, we've got a couple of, of cool astronauts that have been up before. Both of their wives are also astronauts, which I think is kind of neat. And uh, I, I, keep, I, I saw that their names were Bob and Doug. And you know immediately where I went with that, right? It's like yeah. Bob and Doug McKenzie from the yeah. old, uh, um, I forget which show it was they were on. but uh, Second City TV. Was it Second City? Yeah. 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 The Great White North. But yes, no, I think that's a great pair to go well, those with. Are, those aren't names for astronauts. That Those Bob people sound too young. You need to have names like Buzz and Biff and, you know, Spike and, you know, that's, those are astronaut names. Neil. Nobody names Neil. anybody Neil. Neil there are also right. exclamations in a Batman 1960s episode. <laughs> Biff. Biff. Bam. <laughs> uh, so, no, that so, is cool. I've seen Sally Ride. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, this afternoon, Elon Musk tweeted just a freaking awesome photo in super high resolution. I don't know if he did it with his cell phone or if they had a professional photographer up there, but it's uh, from the gantry toward the the, um, the vehicle, and it's just an amazing, amazing photo. So, and yes, for folks that are listening, I'm going to try. Well, we'll obviously have a link to the photo on the show notes, but I'm actually right. going to play a little bit with the video um, and uh, see if I can't have that magically superimpose on top of Randy's face while we're talking. <laughs> or just, you know, take the whole screen and pan around because it's really an amazing uh, photograph. If you insist. And uh, I also threw a link into the show notes. Uh, the Verge has a pretty darn good uh, summary of the mission and the risks involved and all that. Now, the risks, I saw some of your notes. The risks I thought were fascinating, the actual map. Yeah. Um, NASA told Business Insider it estimated a risk of 1 in 276 a uh, chance that the flight could be fatal, which is 
it sounds really, you know, pretty risky. Right. Um, but when you get down to it, um, the shuttle had a risk of a little bit more than one in 68 because uh, we did 135 shuttle missions and two crews and vehicles were lost in their entirety. Entirety. So space is a risky business. Uh, they are warning that they are um, looking very carefully at the weather. They're not only at the launch site, but the um, the escape system that uh, is built into this capsule is really cool. They can pretty much um, escape up to the time they go into orbit. So NASA's going, well, if they could possibly jettison themselves from the rocket and come down into the Atlantic at any point, and they're you know, looking at a map, that means our recovery zone is this big. <laughs> so they have to figure out what the weather is just about everywhere and right. whether they've got recovery crews available to go get them if they do abort at some weird time. Given a large recovery area, I mean, that's got to be tough to get yeah. enough recovery vehicles in place to be able to get to them in any reasonable amount of time. Yeah. And it, it's very similar to uh, recovering a pilot that's, that's had to ditch into the water. But um, yeah, this, this is somewhat specialized to be able to do this and, uh, and get these guys back. So yeah, it, it's a big deal. So as we're recording this on Tuesday, the launch is tomorrow. Uh, what is it? Roughly around this same time, isn't it? I think so. And I guess it's, nobody knows what time we're doing this, but uh, um, magically, this is it's currently three ten p.m. for those keeping tr score at home. And if Pacific I understand, time. if I understand it right, well, what other time is there? Actually, there's Eastern time because it's. I believe the launch is at like four thirty Eastern. Four four thirty three, I think, is their uh, their first opportunity, weather permitting. Right, right, right. And I also saw that there was like a 60% chance then that it may get uh, scrubbed and moved to, what are the next launch windows, Saturday and Sunday? Saturday and Sunday. I'm not sure why not, you know, uh, Thursday and Friday, but there you go. I've always um, assumed that it was some bizarre combination of orbital mechanics, getting sure, them where absolutely. they want them to be, and then also... Uh, whatever else happens to be flying around in the skies at those times. Uh, so, but anyway, Tax yes. Reasons, maybe. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I mean, they closed the airspace anyway, so I'm right. not sure if it's a real deal. Well, I mean, things like, uh, like you know, the, the space station happens to be flying uncomfortably uh, close. Yeah. You know, well, that that's, kind of stuff. The, that's the orbital mechanics part. Yeah, they, right. they've got to be able to, you know, get there. Right, right. So, well, I'm looking forward to that. I, th I think we've mentioned it a time or two on the podcast before. I'm nervous. I'm very nervous. Yeah. I mean, one in one in two seventy six is better than one in sixty, but still, it's one in two seventy six. It's like, uh, <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot riding on it. I mean, not literally, of course, but I mean, there's just. I mean, if there is a failure, it is a failure at exactly the wrong time. It would set things back um, dramatically. I think. So when was the last time that uh, Americans or anybody launched into space from American soil, not in a shuttle, like on a rocket in a capsule? Like 78? Skylab, maybe? Yeah, when was that? When it was one was of the Apollo missions that went up to Skylab, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. last Saturn V rocket launch. Well, I mean, that was like, was that 78? 70. 
somewhere around there? I'd have to look. I actually can't remember. And uh, my ex-boss from uh, Jet Propulsion Laboratory actually had an experiment on it um, when he was a high schooler. And now he works for NASA, which is just awfully cool. Oh, wow. That's, so, all right, super exciting. I can't, I mean, definitely going to be watching. I hope it goes off tomorrow, but, you know, safety first. If it goes off Saturday, it's fine. I'll watch then. Just wanted to uh, want it to happen. I want this era of space uh, exploration to start. Absolutely. Yeah. And I want it to be private. <laughs> yeah, I want well, it to be a commercial base. I want right? it to be, I want it to have options, right? I want, I yes. want this to work. I want Boeing's yes. thing to work. Yeah. I want, eventually want Blue Origin. I want there to be a bunch of options, right? Uh, not just the one. Option you have to to be fair, I want the Chinese to succeed. I want the Indians to succeed. Uh, I think the UAE is also launching something into space here, not that uh, not that long. So, well, I mean, and I, Japan just launched one to the to the station. You know, uh, crew okay. resupply. So right. Right. Cool, cool, cool. So I think that's all very cool that there's all these different approaches to to getting us up in orbit and getting us out there. Um, so I just had a question magically come to me. Why did we cancel the shuttle replacement? The shuttle replacement or the shuttle? The, the shuttle before we had a replacement. The, the one, the option, the, the question that came to me uh -huh. is about the replacement. Well, what I see in the show notes is why did we cancel the shuttle before <laughs> we had a replacement? Uh, ah. And the, the basic answer was cost. The shuttle was obscenely expensive, uh, about a one, $1.5 with a B per launch. Um, so that's why uh, I think it was George W. canceled it, and then Obama uh, confirmed that cancellation, even though we didn't have anything ready to go yet. They were expecting that we would be able to launch again a couple of years ago, but it just took longer than, than expected. And I don't know what the uh, eventual cost is going to be of things like the uh, SpaceX crew dragon that's launching tomorrow, but it's going to be a lot, lot, lot less than one and a half billion. Very cool. I know you've also got a, a, an Elon Musk quote for us. I love this. Uh, so th this uh, launch tomorrow is actually called Demo 2, which doesn't give you a lot of confidence when you're writing on it. Uh, <laughs> but Demo 1 actually blew up. And Musk it gives me even less confidence if I'm writing yeah. on it. <laughs> well, and, and Musk was asked about that, and I love his response. If there's a test program and nothing happens in that test program, I would say it's insufficiently rigorous. If there hasn't been hardware that's blown up on a test stand, I don't think you've tested it hard enough. You've got to push the envelope. That's the attitude we need. It is. <laughs> I'm just not sure it's the attitude I'd want underneath me if I were sitting on top of the rocket. Oh, if you got the <laughs> chance, you would strap in. I sure as hell would. Not you, Kay. Nope. <laughs> no, I wasn't going to say it, you know, uh, for the listeners, because I don't, didn't want to advertise the fact that I'm a coward, but <laughs> no, I would not. I, I, I said I would go in the shuttle, too. How about you, Ken? Would you want to go in a launch like that? Depends on how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're the punk in the crowd, I think. 
going to say, how much do you have to lose, right? That's right. Uh, I, I'm, I'm good staying terrestrial for now. As I mean, given the risks, I, God knows. I mean, look at my shirt, look at my background. I would love to go into outer space. I just don't know that I need to be the first person to go into outer space. Fair enough. It's, it's, he's going to wait till demo four. <laughs> demo 97. <laughs> and hopefully demo stands for demonstration, not, you know, demolition. <laughs> um, demolition derby. Yeah, I, I got to admit, I, there's part of me that absolutely would, but part of me realizes that, you know, I'm married, I have responsibilities here, and those would be hard to, uh, to step oh, away from. Oh, that's what life insurance is for, for God's sake. <laughs> oh, wait, on those grounds, I guess I should be the first to go, because nobody's going to miss me. <laughs> oh. I'll miss you, Ken. <laughs> you'll get over it. <laughs> You're right. Just think of the stories you'll have to tell. I knew him before he blew up. <laughs> my friend just went right. to pieces <laughs> oh god um so i'm assuming we're all planning on watching this live mm -hmm. spacex.com is when it's uh, where sure it's going to be happening yep yeah i assume all the news probably all the news stations will break in and show the launch yeah and also nasa tv and probably several other places online doesn't nasa tv usually just switch over to the speed from space or the feed from spacex when they're uh, when they're doing these launches i'm not sure if if it's uh, spacex looking at nasa feeds or nasa looking at spacex feeds but uh, the ones that i've seen have always had clearly spacex um uh personalities in front of the camera doing the quote-unquote play-by-play um, I mean, you can tell, right? right. They're like 12. They're, and they're like, hi, exactly. space, space, yes. space, space, space. <laughs> exactly. They're like 12 years old. They're way young. They've got lots of energy as opposed to the, you know, they're, they're not wearing ties. So, God you know, they're not from NASA. John Glenn. Right. Yes. <laughs> so. This launch is brought to you by Energy Drink. <laughs> Sponsored by Tang. No, 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 no. It's sponsored by Tesla. You know that. So. All right. This is cool. I'm looking forward to it. And like I said, I'm nervous, but I'm hopeful. I think that's the underlying feeling. Gary, what'd you bring yeah. us today? Well, so I was thinking, you know, this is our 100th episode. You know, we have some themes that we talk about a lot. Space definitely is one of them. Uh, you know, manned missions and all that. Another thing we talk about a lot is censorship, internet censorship. So I was looking for something interesting and enthusiastic uh recently and there's a story it's not it's not from like this month it's a couple months ago but it's about a online library for censored materials so censored articles and things like that uh, mostly you know from journalists um that have been published in a way that people from all over the world even if they live in a country that censors the internet can get to them and that way is minecraft uh, there was a project launched back in March uh, called the Uncensored Library, and basically it's a it, you know it's a collaboration with a couple companies. But Reporters Without Borders is the you know the censorship uh, activist organization behind it, so they're picking the articles and things to rep represent that. But it is a Minecraft world. You can log into a Minecraft server, um, and in that. On that server is a massive building uh, that is looks like you know traditional library. You can go inside, and there are five I think five countries represented right now in particular 
that uh, heavily censor and you go in and you can actually read censored articles there uh, through Minecraft. The idea being that these countries are busy like censoring like news organizations and things like that, but they're not going to go and you know try to censor a children's like you know toy game thing. Um, so you put the articles there and people can have access to them. Uh, you can go in and uh, read these articles in little Minecraft blocky fonts. Um, they have some interesting stuff. They've chosen, like, for instance, uh, one country represented is Mexico, and it's not necessarily that Mexico is really doing that much censorship, but uh, journalists are, it's one of the most dangerous places for journalists. Um, so there are actually monuments to journalists who have lost their lives inside that wing of this uh, virtual um, library there. Um, other places like the Egypt Room, uh, there are actually articles you can read that you can't find in other places if you're in Egypt because they are uh, censored. So an interesting way to get around that. And, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things you can't, the internet is very hard to censor as it should be because there are so many corners and uh, places that you can go uh, and put information up. Uh, so, you know, you try to censor a news organization, they're just going to put their articles somewhere else in some other service in some other way um, and make it really difficult for you, the censor, to try to, to stop that information from getting there. So, you know, this is just, it, this is funny because it's kind of like, you know, in Minecraft is where they decided to do it. And it's actually a beautiful building. They hired a marketing company that builds things in Minecraft to build this huge, beautiful building in there. So it's not like wait, just- Wait, 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 wait. There's a company you can hire to build many. things in Minecraft. Oh yeah, many. And this <laughs> one, you can tour, you don't even have to go to Minecraft to tour the building. If you go to the site, uh, which is- uh, or is it uncensored? I, I put, we'll put a link. It's uncenteredlibrary.com or something like that. Um, you can go in and look around in the web browsers, the virtual like 3D tours. And it's this, you know, it looks like a massive building that you can move around in with all sorts of cool symbology and statues and different things in there. Um, so so kind of neat from that standpoint as like a piece of like virtual architecture. But also uh, interesting is that it's a way to get information so out. What is it that prevents a, a country, say China, uh, from just blocking Minecraft? I mean, I'm, you know, I'm assuming that they have a, a private protocol that they're using to contact these Microsoft or these uh, Minecraft servers. Right. Well, yeah, my, uh, Minecraft is Microsoft, right? right. So you, they get so, okay, so if you're going to block Minecraft, you know, people from playing Minecraft, that's a huge audience with like mostly younger people. Right. Um, and it's kind of like blocking the internet. I mean, you've just blocked out all this stuff, right? So, you know, there's going to be the desire not to do that. Block out just the server. So there is a server that you can log on right. to. has that there. They could block that, probably have. But in Minecraft, you can also download the world. So you can log on to the live server, or you could download the file that contains the world. And then you're not, like, multiplayer. You're not seeing other people and doing other things. But you can still walk around in the environment and see the content. That file, that world file, can be stored anywhere. So, so they can block the server. They can go to a couple places where Minecraft worlds are distributed that you could download, block those, but can they get all of them? Right. There's some place you can go into Minecraft in a world there and say, hey, I really want to go to the uncensored library. Somebody says, I got a link for you. This is just for today. You know, to download it tomorrow. There'll be another link, you know, that kind of thing. Okay. So, you know, that's part of, part of how it can get around the censorship. Have any of you spent this, any time in, in Minecraft? No, but I can go get my kid if you want to talk to an expert. 
<laughs> I mean, I've, I've fired it up like once and, and, you know, yes, it's really blocky and apparently there are sheep, but the, 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 the thought of making buildings and putting tons of content into it is mind boggling from like, at least, you know, it's, cursory. it's exactly what second life was trying to be way back when. I remember second I, life. Yeah. I suppose. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. Yeah, my kid showed me the other day. Um, someone created Disneyland or Disney World in in Minecraft. You know, you could actually go on the rides. I mean, you know, it's here's a small world. And there's these little blocks. You know, they're supposed to be the singing dolls, and you know, you can we you could go on rides and walk around. And oh, here's Tomorrowland, and it was just like it was kind of incredible. Incredible. It's what uh, people played before there was Animal Crossing <laughs> <laughs> or Candyland. <laughs> I, I think the main difference between Second Life and Minecraft is Minecraft is, you know, downloads and multiple servers and everything like that. Um, you know, you can host your own server, whereas Second Life is one big coherent world. So you go into Second Life and everybody's there. And Second Life's still around. I mean, you can right. still go into it and still uh, build your things in it and stuff like that. So fascinating it's a bizarre way around censorship. I think you're right though. The internet is really, really hard to censor. Um, but when you look at somebody like China, who's really motivated to make it happen, they also are able to throw a tremendous amount of horsepower at censoring. Well, it was pretty funny. Uh, 2002 or so I was in Tibet right. and I wanted to do a blog post about Tibet and the Dalai Lama. And of course the great firewall of China covers Tibet. And I was still able to, um, make my way around and use some proxies and get the information out of Wikipedia. I wanted like, you know, a copy of the, of the, what I call the Tibetan flag and uh, put that on my blog post. So it was, uh, there, there are ways. Right. The, I think the challenge is that um, there are ways for the, um, I wouldn't even say tech literate, but semi tech literate, right? You have to kind of sort of know what you're doing. Because um, I remember when you were over there and we actually made sure that there were a couple of ways that you could get to your server and go through that. Right. Um, but that's not something that the average person in China is going to necessarily have access to. Well, I'm glad to be declared technically semi-literate by Ask Leo. <laughs> and also not average. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so above average. Ken, speaking of China, you've got something going on here about robots in China. What's going on there? Yeah, last time I was here, I was talking about contact tracing. So I figured I'd keep that theme going and take a look at how we are recovering or responding to the coronavirus pandemic. And there are some interesting articles I found through the MIT Technology Review about how different countries are responding. Now, clearly, a lot of industry, commerce, has been shut down. You know, people aren't going to work, taxes aren't being paid, and it's gonna be a long time while we recover from this. But it may also be accelerating the development and adoption of other technologies. So for example, in China, autonomous vehicles. You know, people are understandably hesitant to call a Lyft or an Uber or get in a taxi right now because you don't know where the driver has been or who he has interacted with, he or she or they. But in China, they are implementing more and more autonomous vehicles so that you can just get in a car, which I hope has been sanitized in some fashion, and not have to interact with other people. 
So this is just like how for years we've been able to do e-commerce online and get everything shipped to us without having to go to the mall and have to actually interact with people. Now we can actually go out into the world and get from place to place still without interacting with people. Uh, the other thing I found was regarding in Singapore, you've probably seen those Boston Dynamics, like robot dogs, the headless v uh, machines that you can kick them and they stay standing and they make them act all cute so that you don't mind when they take over the world. <laughs> well, in Singapore, they have these things actually patrolling a park and it doesn't seem like it's necessarily taking action based on what it sees or hears, but it will when it's in the vicinity of people will just broadcast audio reminding them that there is a curfew and you need to leave the park by this time or you shouldn't be in the park right now. So it's not like it's, you know, deploying its guns like the Ed 209 from RoboCop, but it's, it's entirely passive in that respect. And I can see how some people would find one or the other of these creepy, especially the robot dog. But I have been advocating for autonomous vehicles you know, quietly for a long time. Somebody, I don't know who, once said that the fact that cars were invented before computers was a bug. And I'm, <laughs> I'm eager to see that bug corrected. And I regret that coronavirus may be what it took to accelerate the implementation of this technology. But if it happens in the end, then that will be one good thing that comes out of a terrible situation. And very similarly, I've been seeing some articles that are using drones more, not only for, you know, surveillance. And uh, one uh, governor or congressman said something about, oh, we're going to put a, a thermometer. Andy froze. Frozen. It's All right. Gone. We're being gone. censored. What was he going to say? Thermometer. Thermometer. <laughs> Well, we'll just keep that keep that snapshot of him there for a minute. Um, the uh, the thing that that this reminded me of. You guys all know Adam Savage of MythBusters. Sure. He actually combined the two. He basically he built his own rickshaw, and then hooked it up to one of these Boston Dynamic dogs, and had it pulling him around, which I thought was an awesome awesome combination of the technologies, uh, and just a lot of fun. Now, granted. The uh, the dog had a lot of trouble when he was trying to go uphill, but um, uh, nonetheless, it was I don't know a portent of of things to come. I just have this 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 vision of um, self driving rickshaws someday in the future. So hey, Rhett, Leo, you're moving up in the world. I well, no, I'm still where I was. See, oh, that's my theory. My theory is everybody sees something a little different in Zoom, Ooh. but Randy has returned. Woohoo! Yeah. Zoom always puts yourself front and center. So on my screen, I'm in the top row in the middle, ah. but that's not where I am for anybody else. Though. Oh, I thought I was special. No, <laughs> so, you're at the bottom for me, Ken. So the team that I work on at my day job, we have weekly Zoom calls, and sometimes there's exactly nine of us on the call. And if it's been a while, we'll say, hey, let's update our team photo and do a Brady Bunch arrangement. Right. But it's really hard to coordinate who's looking where and who's in the middle because for everybody, it's something oh, it's different. All different, right? So I take a screenshot of my screen, I send it to them, so that they can see what I'm looking at, and then I take the final screenshot once they're all looking everywhere. Act appropriate. All you have to do is say, "Hey, Gary, look left." Hey, 
I've done that too, but it's easier to just send one screenshot instead of giving eight sets of directions. Because uh, nobody guess. listens to me. You know that, Randy. Well, true. Would you say? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I noticed though that the uh, you know you know there's that episode of Black Mirror where they have the scary robot dogs that kind of take over the world and have killed everybody. And uh, the the Singapore dogs, they made no effort to make them look any different than those really scary Black Mirror dogs. <laughs> it's like you think they would have looked at that and said, well, whatever we do, do not make them look like the scary robot dogs in that episode of Black Mirror that have given people <laughs> nightmares. Instead, they went and they said, we'll make them look exactly like that and then send them in the park where the kids are playing. They wanted if you're a totalitarian to, state, why not? They wanted <laughs> the kids to behave. How, to, how I mean, how better do you do that, right? I guess. <laughs> Anybody ever read Robopocalypse? No. Nope. It's another sci-fi novel where robots take over the world, and one of the first steps they take over is autonomous vehicles. And what they do is, once people are in the autonomous vehicle, the car locks all the doors from the outside and proceeds to drive into the ocean. And it doesn't go very fast. It's not in a rush as long as it gets to the ocean. So there's a long procession of cars just going about 30 miles an hour, people inside screaming, hammering at the windows, and the cars are just puttering along and dumping themselves off the pier. Are you, are any of you watching or have you watched uh, Westworld? Yes, I have not. Westworld in the last, most recent season um, has, you know, autonomous cars. They're, they've actually gone outside of the theme park and they're now looking at the world of whatever year that happens to be. And yes, there's lots of autonomous cars, autonomous flying vehicles, that kind of stuff. And if I'm not mistaken, they don't um, uh, take over per se, but I think at least one gets hacked and sends somebody off a pier. And I actually don't remember if it was a slow drive or not, but the person was definitely aware of the fact that a, they couldn't get out. B, they wouldn't, couldn't stop the car. And C, it was headed in a direction that they didn't really want to go. So. You know, one last note about the pandemic. While I was reading technology review for these stories, I found another one referring to the fact that maybe when we create online content and it becomes very popular, we shouldn't call it viral anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Viral's losing its quote-unquote positive meaning. <laughs> yeah, COVID did go viral. It <laughs> did. Yes. Um, so the one thing you were mentioning about you know technologies and so forth that are thriving in uh, the, during the pandemic or because of the pandemic. I mean, let's face it, we're soaking in it, right? Zoom is one of those things <clears throat> where uh, a lot of other technologies are trying to play catch up. We talked about it, I think, a couple of episodes ago, but, you know, there's Microsoft Teams and Google Meet and, and uh, GoToMeeting and WebEx and probably a few others. Uh, what do you guys feel about, about Zoom and, and how it's reacting to some of the criticisms that have been leveled at it? Gary and I have spoken at it to some, to, you know, to some length and are obviously relatively comfortable with using it. But uh, I was curious if, if uh, either of the three of our guests this week have any thoughts. I think it was way overblown and very panicky, but lots of these headlines are, as we've commented in many an episode previously. Um, I think they've been very good at responding. Uh, like when somebody said, hey, you're not actually end-to-end -end encrypted. Right. They didn't say, yes, we are. They said, you know what? You're right. We're not. We're going to fix that. 
I think it was not overblown. Um, and people were right to criticize Zoom for its security faults, but they, I thought we were talking about security, um, but they, they seem to have picked up the mantle and dealt with those problems. And now, I mean, all of a sudden they are the number one video conferencing thing that everyone, it's, it's the, it's the Kleenex of video conferencing. Yeah. Now I actually yeah. have, a, I have a, a letter that I, I, I send out to people I'm trying to interview and I'm just like, Hey, you know, we can do this via phone or via Skype. And I've been sending out this letter for years and I've changed the letter now. So it says phone or zoom because that's, that's the, what people think of it now. Or even Skype if you're stuck in the past. Right. Well, it's the interesting thing about things like Skype and uh, Google Meet. I should get myself in focus here. Um, the, the, between Skype and Google Meet and a couple of those other services is that they require a Microsoft account or a Google account, respectively. Um, Google Meet looks really lucrative. It looks really easy. I don't know if you guys have seen it in your Gmail interface, but it's, it looks to be very trivial to set up if you're meeting with other Google users. Uh, the, the thing that Zoom really has going for it right now is that you don't need an account, you don't need nothing. You need a webcam and a microphone and a computer that'll do both and a link to click on and you're done. Uh, so it really wins in the simplicity game, which especially when you're trying to move millions of people onto this new technology in a crisis, that's the way to go. Yep, and they're on AWS, as I understand it, so they can expand very rapidly if they need to. Right. And they did. Yep, yep. Um, so last week, uh, I mentioned to Gary that my wife was getting a new computer, and my old MacBook Air that she had been using had finally decided to become unreliable enough that it was time to replace it. So I got her a, uh, a Google Pixelbook go. Happy with it. She's been using it now for about a month. Um, it seems to be doing everything, as it turns out, including Zoom. Not for her, per se, but as it turns out, another friend of ours contacted me last week and said, hey, my old Dell laptop isn't up to the task. It's having problems. It's a six-year-old laptop. And um, I just looked at what she was doing and how she was doing it and decided that, you know what? She needs the exact same computer my wife has. And after confirming that Zoom works on a Google Pixelbook, a Chromebook, um, we, I literally just pushed this, the, uh, the buy now button again at Amazon. Uh, and Amazon is now telling you, you have purchased this item twice. Uh, and have gotten... Yes, I have. Yes, I have, uh, intentionally. Um, <laughs> and have now uh, delivered that over the weekend. It's... Really fascinating to me uh, that uh, Chromebooks in general are, I think, really, really good alternatives for, I'll just say, the masses, people that don't need to do a lot more than spend a lot of time in their browser. Uh, even Zoom is installed as a Chrome extension on the Chromebook, uh, and it just works. Granted, you do need your Google account, which, again, both my wife and this friend had. But um, it was a really good experience uh, for both of them, and we're very pleased with the results. I also ended up looking into uh, what's called Neverware Cloud Ready, which is essentially Chrome OS to be installed on a PC. 
and it's the same experience. Um, it's not difficult to install at all. Um, and it gives you Chrome OS on your old PC. And that's what I did, in fact, with this six-year-old uh, Dell laptop that I got in exchange for the Pixelbook that I delivered. And um, it's it's working great. So it's something that, um, especially if you've got folks out there who are maybe um, just new to some of the, the things we're doing with technology, especially video conferencing, uh, and are folks that don't want to touch screen. Uh, that was the, the one of the real drivers for both my wife and for this friend is that touch screens are just not something that they want to have to deal with. So if you don't want a touch screen, get a Mac. They, <laughs> <laughs> they wanted a real keyboard uh, to be able to type on for some of the things that they're doing. And uh, Chromebooks really do seem to fit the bill uh, without, you know, all the added baggage of a, of a much heavier, larger operating system and a much larger attack surface in the case of, of Microsoft Windows uh, for things like malware and such. Uh, the way that I put it in an article I wrote just the other day is that, um, you know, malware delivered as an attachment, fine. It's just not going to run, which is perfect, uh, which is exactly right for, you know, that uncle that, that just can't resist opening every single attachment that he gets. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there as something that uh, people might be interested in investigating a little bit more if they're at all interested in supporting uh, friends and family uh, who are playing with technology uh, essentially to this level for the first time. FUD. Dead air. I've got to start over. <laughs> so what's cool this week? What's new? What's exciting? Uh, Randy, you pointed out that the uh, 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 there's nothing more, cool, more, more cooler. More cooler like. More cooler than the SpaceX launch. What else? Well, it's okay, kind I'll, of interesting because I, I threw this onto the list before I knew Ken was going to be here. And what I was going to say is we're working on a permanent archive of TEH at the Internet Archive. And uh, we should be able to give more information on that soon. And then Ken jumped in and it just happens to be that Ken is the one doing it. So, Ken, why don't you take this one? Sure. So, you, one of my pandemic projects, as long as we're all stuck at home, is for me to shovel more data into the Internet Archive, which Kay has been doing for years. years. He spoke about it on episode 15 of this podcast with the Ted Nelson junk mail project. And I've been, <laughs> you know, in my own small way, been contributing files as well, mostly my own stuff. So I have a couple of podcasts that I host, like Polygamer, Transporter Lock, MS Challenge Talk, the Pubcast. And I've been trying to upload each episode of those as they go up. But there were some older podcasts I hadn't uploaded. So I took this time to learn how to use the command line interface for the Internet Archive and do bulk uploads where I can just point it at a spreadsheet that links to 100 MP3s. And the spreadsheet has all the metadata and it just sucks it all up. So I reached out to the host of this podcast last week and said, would you be interested in me doing this? And y'all said, sure. So I exported some data from WordPress. I grabbed all the MP3s and I uploaded them. And the last step is to create a collection, which is a single link that contains all the episodes that have been uploaded in the Internet Archive. 
and that is a manual process on the end of the Internet Archive. So I've submitted that request. They've not executed it yet, which is why we can't link to that permanent place. But when we say permanent, what we mean is that the Internet Archive is a 501c3 online digital library that's been around for more than 20 years, charged with the preservation of human culture, basically, as it appears on the Internet and things that aren't yet on the Internet as well, such as digitizing old print books, public domain works, etc., they have multiple backups across the globe. They have employees who are charged with not only ingesting content, people like Jason Scott, but also maintaining and curating that content. They have a variety of collections, including, for example, all the news that aired on the morning of 9-11. So if you want to see how our country responded to that, you can see that in one curated collection that they've created. They're best known for the Wayback Machine, which is you can see what any almost any page on the internet looked like on a certain date and time. You just scroll back through their timeline. So not only is this interesting to see how web design has changed, but when you hit a 404 for a page that doesn't exist anymore, they may have a backup of it from the last date that it ever appeared before it was deleted. So the idea, of course, is that the website for the Tech Enthusiast Hour isn't going anywhere. We expect it to be up for as long as this show continues and much longer for as long as it makes sense for us to continue hosting those files. At least as long as I'm alive. Right. Because I'm the publisher, just, so yeah. But that's just the thing. Let's say that you win the lottery and or get hit by a bus. In the movie office space, it was the same thing. And, you know, that website might go away. And it's the best way to preserve anything is to put it in multiple hands. So that's why we have now copied all the MP3s from the site into the Internet Archive. So that should the host go away, should Randy go away, God forbid, those files will still be there somewhere. So that for who knows, whoever wants them in the future, we can't predict that need, they'll be there. Kevin, you were trying to say something? Um, yeah, also, um, the, you were listing all the great things Internet Archive has done. And there was a, there's another one that just happened a couple of weeks ago. There was a, uh, a record store in Seattle, Washington, that was going out of business. Um, I don't know really how pandemic related it was, but they, you know, probably a little bit. Uh, and it had apparently an amazing collection of vintage records. The Internet Archive bought it. They bought it and all the inventory, and that's all going to be digitized. It's and, fascinating. And that's I saw, great. I saw that story because, of course, it's local to me, and I and I actually know the record store. But um, I they they kept saying that it was being purchased by a nonprofit. I did not realize that it was the Internet Archive. That's awesome. That really is awesome. It's great. Uh, the Internet yeah. Archive's already digitized thousands of seventy-eight records yeah um, that, early jazz and all that's mm-hmm. very cool yeah. project and, and the system yeah. they use i i just learned this recently um because when i went to look at one of the some of those records it says oh here's here's this record used with such and such a, a needle and and here's mm-hmm. it digitized with another needle they have a, a rig that basically plays the the record four times at once with four needles and digitizes all four at once wow yeah so they I mean, they have to do it in real time, but it doesn't take four times as long to get four different versions used with different styli. As as a, so the one thing that um, I have, I believe is true for the Internet Archive, is that one of the issues that we run into from time to time are websites that uh, publish something and then redact it. 
right? Um, websites that may be associated with certain governments uh, when there's, I'll just say, a regime change or a political party change. Um, and I know that that has been an issue for uh, uh, many people in various places. And a lot of times the place to go back to to get the original stuff that has disappeared is the Internet Archive because they've been slurping it up all along, which is very, very cool. And I think that's probably why most of us or all of us have uh, contributed money to them to keep them going. I think I'm on a regular donation. Yeah, yeah, I am. Same here. I am. The other thing that they do, if I understand this correctly, maybe Kay or, or, or Ken, you'll know, um, is that they try to be, um, what's the word? I want to say geographically diverse, but that's not the right term. They're, they want to be isolated or insulated from the political whims of any one particular country. And by storing the information redundantly, not just in multiple data centers, but in multiple countries, they're almost always guaranteed of being able to legitimately retain something, even though country X might want them to, uh, uh, to remove something or shut down a data center or, you know, do whatever, basically try and strong arm them into something that they shouldn't be doing. Yeah, I dropped into our show notes a link to the seattletimes.com, which has the story about the record store. Let me read you the first two sentences of the story. When Dave Voorhees, owner of Seattle's Bop Street Records, announced last month that the store was closing at the end of June in part because of the COVID-19 pandemic, he wasn't sure if he would be able to sell his enormous collection of 500,000 recordings, sales he had hoped would fund his retirement. This past Sunday, Voorhees stopped worrying. A, son, a San Francisco nonprofit called the Internet Archive agreed to purchase the entire collection sight unseen. Yeah, that's awesome. Or he will be living in a cardboard box uh, instead of retiring properly, but the oh, no, they, pur safe. they purchased they're gonna, they're, it. Yeah. They're going to let him sleep at the archive building. I would be done fine. That. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that that is very cool and makes me feel like I should like ratchet up my Internet Archive donations. Um, cool. Well, thank you for that one. That's cool. Um, <laughs> Gary, you've just got a comment here that says it's easy being green screen. Yeah. So, <laughs> so here's for like, uh, believe it or not, people watching, none of us are actually who we appear to be right now. I know. I know. That's what? Hard. I know. What? I know we're all. The, none I'm not in the movie 2001: A Space Odyssey. Yeah, I know. Kevin isn't at 1962 at the weather station. Um, no. So uh, okay. So here's what happened this week. So I've I've always been pretty resistant to using green screen. I've tried it in the past with my regular show. Right, I do a regular video show, five episodes a week, and I usually just have the wall behind me or a backdrop behind me, it's a solid color that's like behind me, and uh, you know, no bother with green screen or whatever. Well, this last week, I, I walked into the living room. My, my wife is watching The View. And she points at the screen and says, how do they do that? They all look like they're in the studio, but separate screens. But the backgrounds are the studio, you know, like look like the studio. And I just said, well, it's just, just green screen. She goes, but it's live and it looks really, really good. You, shouldn't there be like an outline, a halo, you know, all this stuff? And I was like, no, I think now it's pretty easy. So I went up to my office, took, I had a green screen. It was like a board like a green poster board. 
uh, stuck it behind my head, recorded myself saying hello, and then found like a view, you know, background <laughs> myself on it. And, and like this whole thing was for like five minutes, like put it in Final Cut Pro, created a video and sent her a text message. Hello, you know, and it's just me at the background of the view. She was like, oh, you know, yeah, that looks really good. Uh, yeah, I can see how it's possible now. And I looked at it and I said, yeah, it does look really good. Actually, it looks really, really good, like way better than I even expected. I didn't put any effort. Into it. I didn't even turn the lights on in my studio. It was just like normal room lighting. So I thought, well, maybe wait a minute. Maybe I should try this. So I ordered a real green screen, which I'm using right now, uh, so I can have the entire backdrop be a nice, big, even bright green, and tried it out with the software I usually use, ScreenFlow for Mac, and it worked great. And it solves a lot of problems for me. Uh, not having like, you know, kind of like a, you know, a white or black color behind me, which is a little brighter on one end and on the other end. And it makes things a little difficult or having have to clean your office. Me. Yeah. Without having a wall behind me with all these imperfections, you know, it's kind of like scratchy wall. It's been scratched up a bit and I can create a background, which you actually see behind me right now because zoom made it really easy for me to do the same thing. So I'm using the same background I'm using. I just created my own little signature background and it actually i thought it would be harder for me to do green screen than normal it actually made it easier i can do more now i don't have to worry about the background the lighting works a lot better i can move myself over to the side and put something here uh, without actually doing that i can just take this move myself move that video over that extra space gets filled in normally and you know it, it just solved a whole bunch of problems um using green screen and then today I mean, really, I, I actually flipped this, uh, flipped my green screen around to have the white side a show to do normal. And, uh, well, I then saw there was a green screen button in Zoom. So I went ahead and flipped it back around, used green screen. And, and actually, you can see my, um, my green screen is a little bit better than, say, like some of the other guys there who use, you're all, except Leo, you're using green screen. I'm using a true green screen. Yeah, but I was I was going to jump in and say that Zoom is very impressive in the sense that they don't need a green screen to do green screen yeah. kind of things. Yeah, they don't need it, but but it helps. And there's a yes. checkbox if you've got one to go like higher level, and then uh, and then you get higher quality. And so like you can see a little clipping going on in uh, you know Kay and Ken and Randy's just because that's I mean it's hard to actually figure out what's the background and what's not. So yeah, here you can green. see I'm in, I'm in green right now, yeah. right? And I so, can probably do that. I don't that window it's it's not amazing it can do it with green. It's amazing it can do it with my background. I'm going to turn off my, my yeah, background. Right. I mean, I've got black um, acoustic yeah, yeah. tiles. I've got things in frames, black. varying colors, and it takes care of that really well. It's just yeah. astounding how well it does. But you have to realize that it is a single purpose tool, right? It okay. is um, you. Are, it, it is designed to be looking at a person, probably from about, you know, here up. And if you were to do something different than that, uh, it does get confused. I think Kay yeah, so was this just is, trying to do something a little different. He's got something that, that yeah. apparently we can't see. Well, I just realized that my, my microphone, which is hanging on the microphone stand, is is still, but it's in front of me, actually not behind me, but since it's still, I think the system thinks that it's part of the background. So I can, I can make half of my face disappear oh. by putting it <laughs> behind them. The well, microphone. here, this is Zoom's regular thing without the green screen. And you can see, you know, my hand there's, right. it's, and then if I turn green screen on, say I've got a green screen, 
you could see yeah. the quality Way really crisper. Yep. But anyway, my, my point wasn't about uh, Zoom, really. That's just coincidence. My point was that, uh, yeah, I'm, I've switched over, like, virtually just happened. But 48 hours, I went from, I'll never use green screen. That's not going to work, to why haven't I been doing green screen for... I'm always going to use green screen. Green screen, screen life. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, this is riveting radio. <laughs> yeah exactly the, so and speaking of green screen and backdrops and stuff that hey, segues right into mine huh um my my cool thing was i discovered that the the bbc the british broadcasting corporation uh in order to help all of us people who are using zoom and other uh, conferencing systems video conferencing tools they have released more than photos of more than 100 empty sets of BBC shows uh, going back to the 1950s and 60s, I think. So you can put yourself in the TARDIS uh, or from in the room from Faulty Towers and also rooms from 50 shows that I've never heard of because I don't <laughs> live in England. But uh, you know, there's, there's uh, uh, kids programs, it's like really bright, goofy backgrounds and uh quiz show sets and just all sorts of amazing backgrounds so i'm, I'm currently in a in a news set uh from you know black and white news set from the 50s and, uh, it's pretty awesome. yes and for those who are in fact just listening to this podcast this is just that much more incentive to go visit the uh, podcast show notes page where we'll have embedded the video so you can actually see what the heck we're talking about. And the, the, the best thing is the, the, the website where they have all these things where you can just browse through them. And even if you don't use them you can go all oh, the, you know, I remember that show or, or that's really cool. The, the, the webpage is called the joy of sets. <laughs> oh, nice. Good job. Nice. Uh, let's see. Oh, so last week, Gary, you and I were talking about cameras and lenses and this is and that's and what else is I, new? I was, <laughs> I was bemoaning the fact that, you know, the Nikon that I would like to use sometimes as a webcam has an annoying habit of, you know, doing uh, really noticeable and almost continuous autofocus readjustments so that it really becomes something that you just pragmatically would never use. <clears throat> um, I was watching a um, uh, one of the video channels that I that I uh, follow uh, from Tony and Chelsea Northrup. They are uh, professional photographers, and they've got a channel that talks about cameras and stuff. And apparently, Sony is announcing or has just released a brand new uh, Sony ZV-1 vlogging camera. Now, obviously, it's targeted at the vlogging market. Basically, people who um, hold the camera in front of their face, right? They'll have something that, that allows them to talk to a camera that they're holding and they'll doing, you know, be walking around or doing whatever. But it sounds like it's almost ideal for solving any number of uh, the problems that I've been having. And it's really, really, uh, really, really tempting. And you were using a Sony, I think you said, uh, Gary, last week that for most of your stuff, um, yeah, the Alpha 6100, yeah. Yeah, I'm just curious if you've run into this one yet and if you have any any thoughts. No, I mean, I'm looking at the specs now. You know, uh, It's similar to another camera. It's based on another camera that they had um, that I think I looked at and I ruled out for one reason or the other. I don't remember uh, exactly why I looked, ruled it out. The R RX something. Um, let's see. the uh, I don't know what it, what it was called, but it was in that, that article that we're going to point to. 
the, uh, the one of the things I need, be, uh, I go directly into the computer. So I use the Cam Link 4K to go directly into the computer. So just as important as being a 4K camera or having a good lens and all that, I need output that goes from the camera to HDMI. Right. Right. Um, I, the specs don't say what that is. So I'm well, there curious. There is an HDMI connector. I know that, it, but exactly. So it how, doesn't output 1080. Right. I don't know. 4K. Right. I mean, not that it makes too much difference right now. I'm still doing everything 1080. I'm just thinking towards the future. But I mean, it looks like pretty comparable to what I'm doing. Um, is it a mirrorless? It's a mirror, mirrorless yes. camera. Yeah. So similar to what I've been uh, looking looking at, it looks like it, I think maybe I might have ruled out that uh, the other camera uh, that this is based on because it might have been too high end, like too expensive. And this is kind of like a version of that that's in the price range now. Okay. Yeah, it does. It, it's funny. It, it actually solves a, one of the, the biggest problems I have with the D5800. Uh, and that is that when you flip the display around, mm. um, if you have anything plugged into it, like an HDMI cable or an external microphone, those are right in front of the display. Those sockets yeah. are right in front of where the display is. And of course, Sony did the right thing and put those sockets on the other side. Yeah, I see that the RX100 is what it's, Mark 7 is what it's based on. And that's a $1,300 camera right oh, there. Oh, yeah, this is half that price, yeah. Yeah, Seven, this is $700. Yeah. yeah. So. And it comes out in two weeks. Yep. So, yeah, so it would be an interesting option if I didn't have a pretty new yeah. <laughs> Alpha yeah. 6100 here. That, I didn't, and I've, and I've been lusting, and, and I'm in quarantine. And, you know, when you're in quarantine, buy now is pretty pretty easy to hit. So yep. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Let's let's point some folks at uh, pages of our own. We don't really have sponsors. We're of the ones that sponsor all this, so we like to point you at the pages we've been publishing in the recent weeks. Mine is uh, Five Steps to Repair Windows 10 Without Losing Programs. That is uh, askleo.com slash 122708. I mean, reformat and reinstall is one of those things that um, is second nature to anybody who's been using Windows or Microsoft Windows for for any number of years. It was one thing that you just sort of assumed you would do regularly uh, just because Windows would destabilize over time for any number of different reasons. Life has gotten a lot better. It really has. And as it turns out, there are several steps you can take uh, that short of nuking everything on your machine that are definitely worth trying if you're experiencing problems. So that's one I would have people uh, take a look at if they're even considering reformatting and reinstall. It may save you uh, a fair amount of time. Five steps to repair Windows 10 without losing programs. Gary? Yeah, I've got uh, one um, that I like. It's uh, using shell scripts on a Mac, which is a lot of thing, a thing a lot of people like to know how to do, but to find something actually useful for them to do is hard. Right. Um, so a couple of quick shell scripts, uh, one that shows you the time and date, one that shows you what Wi-Fi network you're currently attached to, and one that shows you your real IP address to the outside world. These are things that usually have to take a couple of clicks and I'll to look at uh, a little shell script put into Automator and then assigned a keyboard shortcut. So when you want to know those three things, you touch a key on your keyboard and a little notification pops up that happens to have that bit of information in it. And of course, you could take that same concept and use some other shell script that displays some other pieces of information in the same way. Cool. Uh, Randy. Well, this is true is uh, social commentary using weird news. And I rearranged a chart put out by the state of Georgia to justify reopening the state. And uh, the actual data didn't support it because they moved things around in the chart so that it looked like infections were going down. So 
I took the, the chart apart and rearranged it in date order, which shows completely unsupported conclusion. And that said, go, this is true.com slash Georgia. And of course, we'll have the uh, links on the show page. I just love that it really does support that whole, you know, lies, damned lies and statistics. Absolutely. I mean, that's exactly what this is all about. Okay. My site, freeprintable.net, offers 51,000 plus printable downloads. And uh, I have a page where you can see what is most popular, uh, what things or people are printing out this month, this week, and just today. And uh, it's pretty interesting how things have changed in the last couple of months. Um, the <laughs> putting the, the link here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's kind of sad that this week, all of a sudden, okay, please use hand sanitizer, like bubble to the top fast a couple of months ago. Um, <laughs> and printable rulers, because people are just like, you know, doing school at home, printable blank world maps and things like that. And, and also they want to say six feet apart. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then this week, sadly, a graduation, a printable graduation certificate is all of a sudden being downloaded oh, lots yeah. and lots. It's yeah. like, man... It's just so sad. It just, yeah, I mean, just, yeah, all of a sudden it's, it's here. And you, uh, plus the usual stuff, like people are downloading, it's end of May, so people are downloading the June calendars and things like that. Um, and also uh, a, shoots and, a printable shoots and ladders game is <laughs> normally <laughs> downloaded, you know, two times a month because whatever. But all of a sudden people are trying to entertain their kids at home. So, uh, hey, let's print a board game. Oh, God, it's been... I think literally decades since I've played Shoots and Ladders. Uh, Ken, did you have anything you wanted to throw at us? Sure. I'll throw roadbits.net, which is my digital nomad blog. I have, like many of you, a job that is independent of location. So I've taken that liberty to move every couple of months all across the country. And I have a blog where I document my adventures, but it's not just the details of my experiences. It's also practical advice. So, for example, not only can you see photos of me hiking at the New River Gorge National Park in West Virginia or exploring Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, birthplace of Dungeons & Dragons, but you can also get questions answered like, how do you get mail delivered to you when you have no permanent home? Or how do you ship a bicycle from one part of the country to another? Or how can you even afford to be a digital nomad because traveling is so expensive? So I have all that and more at roadbits.net. Spoiler alert, he uses green screen. <laughs> That's true. It I'm only looks like he's all over the place, yeah. It's true. <laughs> no, I, I do travel quite a bit. Yep. yep I'm currently cool. in northern Montana in a small town called Haver. It is the large, eighth largest city in the state. It is 40 minutes south of Canada. It's one of the few cities in the state that the railroad passes through which is its big cool. name, I guess. And there is absolutely none of the gorgeous scenery you would expect from a place like Glacier or Yellowstone. I take uh, it as just flat. It's flat and windy, yes. Yeah, yep, I believe it. It's windy um, because it's flat. Go ahead. Any last comments from anybody? This was the 100th episode, right? Yes, it was. Yes. So is the curse lifted now? <laughs> no. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Uh, no. Uh, let's see. So the show notes for this week, I feel cursed. Um, the show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh100. If, if you've got a comment or a question for us, you know to hit us up on Facebook or on Twitter, or just leave a comment on the show notes page. We're at the TEH podcast on social media. Thanks, as always, for listening, and in this case, watching if you 
are listening and you're interested in what the heck we were talking about that's or what we so, look like so very visual um, or well if you're like morbidly curious then yes um, go check out the show notes page hopefully we will have successfully processed a YouTube video for you to watch of this podcast and you can see all the gory details curse or not thanks again for watching and listening and we will see you all again next week Bye, Bye everybody. Bye. 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 Retro compute. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong podcast, sir. <laughs>